in the Civil Rights Act of 1968, America does move forward. And the bell of freedom rings out a little louder. This is A Little Louder, a podcast for wonks, housers, and rabble-rousers where we talk about fair housing, community development, and how we can use these issues to build people power and work toward equity and justice. I'm Michael D. Plan. Today we're joined by Julia Ordunia, our Southeast Texas Regional Director in Houston. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Michael. Glad to be here. Julia works with the Harvey Forgotten Survivors Caucus, and she recently spoke with members to ask if there are their recollections of Harvey, what has not occurred to help them get their homes whole again, what they've found to be valuable, and what needs to happen next. Five years ago, this week, Hurricane Harvey hit Texas shores in Rockport around August 25th and slowed to a crawl over Houston where it poured over 50 inches of rain in some areas. If you lived in Texas at this time, I know you remember exactly where you were. I remember my own personal story. I happened to be staying with my uh, mom at the time and and Katie just helping out. And when the storm came, I figured I was very grateful to be there with her. And as the rain just kept coming and kept coming, I'm sure I thought what many of you thought was, you know, will this ever end? Uh, It just seemed like it would never end. And the water kept creeping closer and closer to our doorstep until finally the National Guard came. And we got in the high track and we looked at her house and we had no idea what it was going to look like when we got back. Um, And thankfully, we had some family that we could stay with in the interim. And when we returned, uh, our house was still there and it it did not flood. And, you know, we were just really thankful for that blessing. But, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, were not so lucky. And some of those people are still waiting on help today. You're definitely right, Michael. There are still a lot of people struggling to recover. And, you know, I started working at Texas Housers specifically to focus on disaster recovery. Hurricane Harvey happened in 2017, and my work with Housers started in 2019. So a lot of the programs that the government of Texas was implementing for the recovery were slowly rolling out. And so when I came on board, The big question was, what is happening with this program? Who is applying? And are they able to get assistance? It just feels as if there has been sort of a divide in who gets help and who doesn't get help for, you know, since the beginning of the storm. I know you work with folks who, even at the sort of rescue phase, felt that divide. I think it was very impactful the way that I've heard people talk about the evacuation. We had a lot of people, especially in in the east side of the city where just the water continued to be dumped on the northeast specifically. And so we hear stories of people specifically on Mesa that were trudging through waist high water just to try and get out of their own neighborhoods into a place that they could be rescued, getting into dump trucks and being taken to another lot elsewhere to be picked up by another truck, to be taken to 
the George R. Brown Convention Center. And we know that there was overcrowding and lots of people there that just the evacuation and the experience of living through the storm itself was very difficult. And we know other people didn't evacuate. The water got into their house. They put furniture on top of other furniture. And ultimately, were they themselves on islands of furniture with water surrounding them on the floor, waiting for the water to recede eventually? It's been five years since Harvey. There have been several disasters or storms, including the, the ice storm, that has inflicted additional damages to individuals. And some people haven't recovered totally from Harvey. And, you know, with global warming and everything that's going on, a rainstorm is not just a rainstorm anymore, especially in our area we have drainage problems. And so... I don't think none of that has been taken out of consideration. After the water receded for the entire city about, I would say, seven to 10 days later, the recovery efforts were in full swing. And a lot of folks kind of felt like, oh, well, we can return back to normal. But the folks who we want to talk about today, many of them are still waiting. Many of them are still in the situations that they were in five years ago. The only thing getting them through this hasn't necessarily been help from government organizations or anything like that, but it's been community. Starting my work with Texas Housers, I was really new to what disaster is. I come from a desert. I'm originally from Laredo. And if you do not know Laredo, it rains maybe twice a year. And so this idea of a rain event particularly flooding, was was something foreign to me. And so I do feel like I came into the community with a fresh pair of eyes and a new sense of understanding to be able to listen and really take into consideration their experiences. And so what we decided was to try and get community members that were going through these government funded programs together and just listen to them and hear what they were either experiencing or learning or just trying to get through themselves and, and the troubles or the barriers of these programs. And so we hear Ms. Herndon talk a little bit about this in this clip. I'm going to say this because this sums it up the way I feel. Everybody come out a winner except the people that was in Harvey. Everybody made out like bandits, except the people that was in Harvey. We still dealing with it today. And sometimes like when you, everybody talking about the anniversary, I don't see nothing to celebrate myself personally, because it's still not good. Mentally, I'm not a well woman. <laughs> so what do you think was the sort of, what was the genesis of this? I mean, I'm sure a lot of folks were in similar situations, but you have a you know a sense of familiarity with community but how does that turn into organizing and how does that turn into action yeah so we got all these people together in a room trying to understand their problems their situations and everyone was so fired up they were ready to stand up for themselves and for each other we really wanted to understand the recovery process that they envisioned and so we hear here some of the reasons why we are organizing. 
Today, it's so disjointed. Everybody seems to just be pointing the finger at someone else. And you really don't even know where to start when you need help. The community definitely needs to hold the officials accountable and ask or rather demand that they include us before and not after. I think that should be an ongoing situation. And Sandra Martin speaks about the benefits of community level assistance. When someone needs us, that we are able to be there for that person, whoever it is in the organization. So we really understand the benefit of working together as a community. And that's really, I think, what solidified this group to want to work together for this common goal. And what is the value uh, that you've gotten out of all these folks come together with a wealth of experiences, diversity of experiences, identifying all the problems that can come about for folks who are looking to recover? I think that's precisely it. You're talking about the wealth of knowledge and the resource and the information that every person has individually. And when we bring these collectively, we talk about popular education, we talk about mutual aid and benefit. And so we came together as a community to identify the problems rooted in a similar experience. And we have been able to identify these issues in the way that disaster recovery programs are implemented. And ultimately, for many, their recovery has halted because the people in power are not listening to those who have lived through the disaster and have those experiences. Ms. Barbara Herndon gets it. The people in the community know what we need. Who better to tell them what we need than us to work with them? They have the access. They have the means to help us create the the disaster program, but we need to work with them. Alice Torres gets it. We are the experts because we have lived through it. We've gone through it. We need to be included in that. We need to be on the board, wherever that is a topic or a possibility of them dealing with it. We need to get the politicians to advocate for it. We need the legislature to move on doing this because the problem with that is with every new person that's elected, we go back to creating the wheel all over again. So we need something that's structured and that is reliable and that won't be subject to change if there's a change in the leadership. And so we understand that there needs to be a change but we also see it as a broken system with no permanence. It's been my experience that something needs to be established, something permanent, because each time this happens, they're taking millions away that could be given to the community to reinvent the wheel and create ineffective ways of giving us the the help that we need. After you all have been meeting, what was your first action? Yeah, so we started our group in October of 2019 and took that winter time to plan our very first event for January 2020, and we had a home tour. We invited community members, elected officials, and government staff to walk into a Harvey house that still had mold, had holes in the ceiling, the 
roof was falling in, the floors were breaking, ultimately not a way for a family to be living in this space. And so we really felt so empowered by this action that we wanted to continue organizing. And unfortunately, we had to switch our method of organizing because we very much know that in March of 2020, COVID became a big issue. And so everyone was forced into their homes. And so we took two telephonic meetings. When you had to shift and adapt when COVID hit, you know, that's a crisis on top of a crisis. And a lot of the families and individuals that you're working with, things were already difficult. How were they able to sort of manage both of those crises at the same time? And also, did you have to really encourage people to keep going with the Harvey work uh, as things became more difficult in everyday life with coronavirus? Michael, you're absolutely right. This was a disaster on top of a disaster on top of another disaster. And it wasn't difficult to continue organizing, but it was difficult to find a way to organize. One of the norms that we have in our group is to put your mask on first and not in the sense of a COVID mask, but in the sense of an airplane. We hear the flight attendants say, you've got to put your own mask first before you can help anybody out. And ultimately, I think we were stuck in this moment that everyone was so entrenched in their own recovery, also trying to navigate the new norms of COVID and trying to continue working with these government officials and government staff to get through the program. So we definitely had to take a step back in what was the ultimate advocacy of programs and try to advocate for everyone's personal recovery. At the beginning of the pandemic, our goal was to find out what was happening with the City of Houston program. And so in 2020 was when we started hearing conversations between the City of Houston and the GLO about this transfer and this takeover. And so we started meeting on the phone. We started meeting over Zoom. I did a lot of teaching of technology and how to text a message and how to text a picture. And so while I don't think we stopped organizing, we definitely had to pivot how we organize. And so I do think that that set our recovery a little further back, but who wasn't set back during the pandemic? One of the unintended consequences of COVID is that, that people maybe did have more time to engage in something like this. And also people understand the need for community, the need to be connected to your neighbor or one another. And that really dovetails in what the caucus already was doing, that sort of fellowship. Yeah, definitely. The caucus has become more of a mutual aid group for each other. And we hear Ms. Herndon talk a little bit about that. I think with all the community groups I've been involved with since Harvey is meeting people like everybody on this call. Everybody got a story to tell. We learn from one another and we put our ideas together. So I think I have learned a lot from how to navigate the political side of it, how to get things done. And we also feel like this group has become really tight knit. 
And I really like the way that Alice kind of talks about the caucus here. We're all here. We all have individual stories, but we come together as a group. And I really do feel like we're a family because originally it was me and my mother who joined the group. And all I have to say to the new people is that Harvey is my family. They came through for me. My, my mom, unfortunately, passed from COVID. And I can say that I felt a great support from all my brothers and sisters from the caucus and even more so than some family members. So I don't view this as just an organization or just a group of people, but we've all become family to one another. And I think that's very important and that's very unique for an organization like this, which is really grassroots. And I think that's why we respect one another because we treat each other with respect and commitment to the idea and the purpose and the goal and I'm very proud to be a member of this group. You know, listening to Alice say these things definitely hits home. I, I definitely have a sense of feeling with the caucus that they are part of my family. They are my family away from my family. And I feel very supported and at home with them. So I personally have an appreciation for them as people and as humans and as community not just because they've allowed me to be a part of their recovery, but they have given me a place at their own table as well. This is something that's been years in building. We think about Harvey being five years ago, the caucus first meeting being three years ago. Um, but this is something that you feel as, in a lesser version of this, that people would get the help they need and they just slowly taper off because they don't need it. But when you forge real meaningful relationships and real community, you know, you want to see them do well beyond just fixing their problems, but you want to build something that will last for the test of time. We were asking ourselves as a group, what is the purpose of the caucus? How long is the caucus going to be around? Is the caucus going to continue organizing and operating after everyone's homes have gotten rebuilt? And everyone said, we need to continue our work. It isn't just Hurricane Harvey. It isn't just the people in Houston that were impacted, but we definitely need to take this beyond this storm and ultimately change the way that the government is doing disaster recovery and making sure that the people that we put in charge are listening to the community because as we've heard, they are the experts. We can listen here to Alice talk about other benefits of joining the group. I think I've become more aware of voting for people who are qualified versus just the rhetoric that goes around seeing which positions people are running for. They're just starting points for their political career. Even though my parents were always politically involved, I think it's made me more aware and more active politically than I've ever been. And so that's a positive because I think the more we're involved and we're informed, we can make a change. This group is continuing to meet and actually they have a upcoming meeting that we're going to talk about at the uh, conclusion of the show. This is The meeting will be September 3rd, a community event in Houston. But let's talk about 
some of the brass tacks of what the caucus is working on right now. Some folks have gotten the help they need with Harvey, as I mentioned, but some folks are still awaiting help or finished help five years later. There are many people in the caucus have now received a new home or people that we are connected to in the community that we know have been able to successfully go through the GLO or the city of Houston's program. But there are so many people that are still stuck in the pipeline. I've never been through the process. I was attempting to help my uncle sign up for the program and he definitely needs to have a new home. I mean, we're not in a position to really turn anyone away that even if they built something shoddy, it would be better than what he has, but that should not be the goal. We should know that these people really will be accountable. And ultimately, a lot of people have also just given up hope. And it's been difficult to get through these programs that they have been forced to withdraw from the program like Miss Herndon. I wanted to get one rebuilt because my foundation, but I withdrew from their program because if I'm losing some parts of my house. They say I'm not losing nothing, but I am. Part of my yard, they want to put a sidewalk, but that's taking away some of my land. I just couldn't see me leaving again for three more months and I'm going to come back to the same stuff. You know, uh-uh. it's, it's a lot of things need to be done with these programs. You need to include people in what they're doing. That's, um, you know, that can be dispiriting, but we know that there's more work to be done and, and they want something beyond just Harvey. So let me ask, the, what does the caucus want, would you say? Well, many of them are focused on the politicians because they're the ones in charge of how the funding moves around the state. And we can hear James talk a little bit about that. One of our most important demands is to ask our elected city officials to do their job and to represent us as the people. Houston is the fourth largest city in America. And for us to be underrepresented when we did them with funds that, that's coming from the federal government, we should ask more of, of our city officials and particularly the mayor, uh, whoever he may be, because Sylvester Turner is going to be gone after this election. But I think that we just ask that they do their job and represent us as the citizens. And not only do they want the attention of the current elected officials, but we are thinking about how we're able to shape politics and these programs in the future. So we can hear Sandra talk a little bit about what she thinks about the future of politics. We as a people should vote on those that we know is going to get down in the dirt with us and get it done. Sometimes you can't vote someone else in if nobody else is running against them. So we need some of our young people to step up to the plate that want to do well for the people in the neighborhoods to step all the way up to the plate so we maybe we can vote them in. I've only attended a couple caucus meetings when needed, but you do see the differences in age. It's not just one type of person. There are 
our elders there, but there's also uh, younger people there as well. So that is encouraging that if Sandra thinks there should be younger people who engage in public service, I think that maybe they feel more connected to the communities that they're trying to serve. And also they feel like they are more reachable, uh, whereas some of the politicians they've tried to reach, they haven't had much luck, I suppose. Yeah, I think that the caucus has been trying to connect with elected leadership at the city level, the state level, and the federal level. And it's been a little difficult. A lot of our cries have fallen on deaf ears, or we have been able to have a politician pay attention to the issue for a moment. But when we need the change to be consistent and substantial, it really hasn't gotten to that degree. Given everything that the caucus has been through, and it seems like they've built so much trying to engage these programs, trying to work with state and local leadership, really making themselves like a formidable force, yet still some folks are awaiting help. How do you balance that? Do you, do you find that the caucus is still optimistic about what they're able to accomplish? Yeah, you know, it, it is difficult to keep up wanting to do the work when you have so many barriers put against you. They haven't had the help necessary. They've had to trudge through these government programs. But ultimately, I think that the strength has come through the collective. The strength has come through the family and the ties that we have created and the community that has created. And I think that we have been able to keep a hold of this hope that we do see a light at the end of the tunnel. There is an opportunity to actually recover successfully. And, and we hear that in some caucus members. So I think what I hope for, yes, is change, better representation, actual efforts that do help the people and not just those running it or making money off of it. I think this is a great opportunity to really initiate true change. And I think we need to really focus in and really continue this battle because it's worth it, we're worth it. So I have really have hope in us as a group, as a people. And so I'm really looking forward to, to seeing all this come to fruition. I hope that we could leave something in place and wouldn't be as hard for the next generation. We'll have it down where they can just look at our trail and our notes and, well, not our notes, our program that's in place, and they can just take it and walk with it. You don't want to have to go through all of the frustrations. Ultimately, I'm just so honored to be able to work with this community. I feel blessed in their words to be able to support them and and they ultimately have been able to support me in finding a community here and so i think that our work is far from done and we have so many other goals and accomplishments ahead of us and we will continue to organize to be able to create a better and more just recovery in the future
let's talk about this event that's happening on September 3rd, the Hurricane Harvey five-year anniversary, We Are Still Here event. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, most definitely. So the caucus doesn't do work alone. There are many other community groups that are fighting for an adequate and a just disaster recovery. And one of those groups is the Northeast Action Collective, which we call NAC for short. And so NAC and the caucus and many other communities are coming together to hold a remembrance event and kind of bring together a moment of commemoration. And like we've heard a lot of our community members say, Harvey's really hard to remember. It's not a celebration when we get to the anniversary. This fifth anniversary is not something to be proud of. If we had recovered, maybe there would be something to be proud of, but it's really difficult to get to August and say, oh, look, we're here again, and my house is still in the same conditions as it was when the storm left. And so while we are getting together to honor the experiences, we're also here to vision a new recovery. And so we want to invite absolutely everybody in here in Houston to come to the event. It's going to be the doors are opening at 545 and our first event starts at 615. And we're going to have several different activities and workshops and listening moments and sharing moments. And it's going to be at the Deluxe Theater in Fifth Ward. And when the event ends at eight o'clock, we're going to just finish out with a, a party and hang out. So we'd love everyone to show up and come celebrate with us. We're also asking people to bring a memento or a picture or something of significance or something that represents something significant lost in the flood to remember those moments five years ago. And, and we're going to be putting together an installation piece. And so we invite everyone to bring their mementos and their pictures and their pieces of significance and, and their moments to honor the experiences that we have had as a community collectively in these five years. And if they want to find out more, if anyone listening wants to find out more uh, about that event. And definitely find some information on either Texas Housers socials or West Street Recoveries social. We also have a bit.ly link that if you want to RSVP, that'll definitely help our organizers. And so you can go to bit.ly slash Harvey, the number five years, Harvey five years. And so we hope to see everybody there. And we will post uh, all that information on our socials and of course in the description of this episode. Julia, I just want to thank you for obviously all your work, but for joining us today to talk about the Harvey Forgotten Survivors Caucus. And everyone listening, we hope to, if you can join us in Houston, we hope to see you Saturday. If we don't see you, then definitely keep a keen eye on our socials. After the event, what's next for the caucus? Yeah, we're really excited to see what's next for the caucus. And so we're currently working on a large report talking about our lessons learned in government-funded disaster recovery programs. And we really hope that that catapults our advocacy and we hope 
to continue talking to elected officials and see this change not just happen in the city of Houston and the state of Texas, but the way disaster recovery happens throughout the nation. This will be something that will help government officials and elected officials and state agencies truly understand the lived experience of the people they're intending to serve. That's it for this episode of A Little Louder. I want to thank Julio Arduino for joining us this week. And to play us out, JT Harishmack. See you next time. I'm still got my